it gets easier. Mm. I had so many years where I thought that this is forever. This is what I'm stuck trying to live through, to coexist with, and to survive through, basically. I just really, really, more than anything, want people to know that they aren't alone in feeling so fucked up and alone, and that it doesn't have to be that way forever. You're a high achiever. On paper and through the eyes of others, you've made it. Congratulations. But the truth is you feel unwanted, unworthy, and unlovable. You always have, but you hide it well. Welcome to the Trauma Hiders Podcast. I'm Karen Goldfinger Baker, and this is a podcast where high achievers like you finally reveal what keeps them up at night that no amount of money or recognition will fix. I'm also making it my business to speak with people who get you. Hell, I get you. I am you. So get your best hider's face on, sit down, and let your guard down. What's on the other side of this shit will change your life. There are so many ways people like us fuck ourselves over. But let's start with five ways. When you know them, maybe you'll finally stop doing them. Over on my website, you'll find a free download listing the five ways your fuckery is getting in the way of the next level of your success. Grab it now at KarenGoldfingerBaker.com. My guest today is Jess. She's the host of the podcast and private community, Complex Trauma Recovery. We are traumatized motherfuckers. Jess is brilliant, raw, honest, tender, all wrapped in a whole lot of dry humor. Listener, this conversation is filled with hope and I know you'll enjoy the ride. Buckle up, because it's the Trauma Hiders Club. Welcome. Jess, I am so glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we we kind of went through this like <laughs> dance of getting together. I know. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. No. It was the most chaotic spring that I think I've had ever, which is saying a lot because springtime is always kind of like a manic explosion in mm. my trauma life, it seems. But this spring was absolutely off the wall. And I'm really glad that we ever got to connect because yes kicking you down the line. And I'm so sorry. <laughs> yes. But as you probably learned, not willing to be kicked. <laughs> no, no, you're here for it. I am here for it. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So here you are on the Trauma Hiders Club podcast. Yeah. yeah. What, what do you want to hide the most right now? Oh God. Um, my face, but luckily we did that. So yeah, we did. Good to go. Yeah. <laughs> It's a beautiful face, people. Yeah, should not be hidden. Mm, I don't yeah. know, but the video is awkward, and I'm glad we we're not doing yeah. that. Yeah, just so our audience knows, we record these conversations over Zoom, but you don't actually ever get to see the Zoom video for good reason. And <laughs> when I'm interviewing my guests, we turn off our cameras you know, this is Trauma Hiders podcast. So it goes with the purpose and the vibe and the mission. So 
Yeah. I think it's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Should I ask the question again? <laughs> you need a different answer. I do. <laughs> oh man. Um, I guess what a mess my surroundings are if I'm mm. trying to pull something out real quickly. Mm. Yeah. I feel like it's been a really academically focused week and my surroundings are slipping because I have been dissociated into my very prefrontal cortex, get shit done neural network. And it doesn't include cleaning up my dishes. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that that's cool, right? This is, you've just described my life, which is show the world that I've got my shit together when behind the curtain, there are a bunch of dirty dishes and who knows what else. Exactly. The get shit done part that shows up for humanity. And then behind the scenes, um, my kiddo parts are a little mess. Yeah. There's always the monster under the bed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I, I hear you. So Tell us why your focus on trauma and why now? Ooh, well, definitely not a unique thing to say that, of course, I have a traumatic background. Mm. So this all started with trying to figure myself out, trying Mm -hmm. to understand what had been going on for, at that point, you know, 29 or 30 years when I was like, okay, I want to get serious about this childhood trauma thing I've heard about in therapy. I'm interested, but I want to know the full impact. Like how has it shaped this brain that I think can be easily characterized as like quirky and things like that, but actually living with it is a nightmare. So I started getting into making these connections in my life between research I would do and then how it was actually presenting functionally for me. And I've always really, really enjoyed writing. So I knew that I wanted to make some kind of a blog out of it and let other people know the things I was figuring out because I had such a massive shift take place when I started understanding my anxiety and my anxiety triggers and how to track my distress levels throughout the day and pinpoint what the like antecedents were to me being in a spiraling mindset that left me crippled. So once I started piecing these things together and having some control, it felt like absolute day and night in my world. Like I went from being a completely helpless little animal living in an abusive relationship, working an abusive job, unable to really get anything done or focus long enough to accomplish anything at that point, which is after having a pretty high achieving life, but it had kind of disintegrated. Once I kind of got everything back on track, I was like, well, I need to tell people about this. And I think it needs to be, it's not that it hasn't been said before, it's that it's not said the right way. People don't use it. They don't use the right language. They don't actually show examples from their life that are connective. So that's where the blog started. A lot of um, writing my own reflections. And I think that kicked off into being a podcast, again, not originally during the pandemic when everybody was suddenly putting their creations out there. So it had been a blog for at least a year, year and a half at that point. And one day I said, fuck it, I'm going to make a video. 
uh, my video recording equipment didn't work. So I said, fuck it, I'm gonna make a podcast. I recorded an episode in my bedroom that day, having just recently quit that abusive job I spoke about and being out of that relationship for about a year. I made a podcast episode, right? In um, May, 2020, kind of the start of everything. And it became my pandemic baby. Like (laughs) that is what I spent my quarantine working on. And it transformed into being much more research-based and community-based And it has just, I don't know, an interest, a self-obsession in my own trauma functionality, I think is what started everything. And then weird timing from the universe made it a podcast. Yeah, I love that. I love it. For, For me, creating Trauma Hiders Club podcast, my motivation was to create the thing that I needed that wasn't there when I needed it. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. All throughout my twenties. I, that's yeah. who I'm speaking to. Right. When I write podcasts, I have a few trauma friends in mind. Mm-hmm. I have the community that I talk to. And then I have myself yeah. being like 18 through 29, just a spiraling disaster. Although on the outside, still doing fine. Yeah. And just think of everything I needed to know back then when I felt so alone and alien and broken, deeply broken. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to just circle back for one second, just for a point of clarification, because I can feel myself and I imagine listeners saying, wait, where (laughs) am I going to find this blog? So um, what's the name of the blog? So it's also traumatized motherfuckers. It's all on the same site. Okay. So now the blog is kind of like the transcripts of the episodes. I see. Yeah. Okay. And, and the podcast is called? Traumatized motherfuckers. There you go. If you want the full title, it's complex trauma recovery. We are traumatized motherfuckers. Okay. But, (laughs) but if, if one was to search it. Yes. Traumatized motherfuckers will find it. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Um, So listen, traumatized motherfuckers, just, (laughs) just hold up the mirror and you'll find, you'll find the podcast. Uh, Who am I and what am I? Oh, right. I can find traumatized motherfuckers. (laughs) Okay. When you go back to your 18 year old through, I mean, 18 through 29 is wow. What a, you know, what a so many, so many stages in life mm. in that 11 years. Oh, a lot of personalities. A lot of personalities. <laughs> yeah. What would you, what would you say is the significant moment where you basically had the car crash of trauma? Hmm. You mean what started the whole thing? Oh, well, what is the question I'm asking you? Because we don't, you know, we don't want to, we can just call it your trauma. It doesn't need to be trauma porn here. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I come from one of your kind of like generational trauma situations ah. where basically my whole life can just be characterized as um, having been dysfunctional and abusive in various ways from my family. Okay. I'm one of those those characters. Yeah. So there wasn't a big event necessarily that took place at 18. There were smaller or larger traumas that took place throughout that period. But Mm -hmm. I think 18 is when it was the reckoning of starting to deal with the aftermath 
of the upbringing that I had and getting out of high school. And, you know, that's kind of the trigger point when people lose their very structured Mm -hmm. upbringing and they're suddenly thrown into figuring out adult life. Yes. I think that's when a lot of my mental illness started picking up. Mm. And then it was a lot worse when I got to like 23 and I was getting out of college. Then it like quadrupled down Mm. on how how mentally ill I was exactly. Mm. Okay. So for you, there there was a safety in the structure. Yeah, there is safety in structure for me. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And it was the potential for, let's call it freedom. It was like, oh, what do I do now? Yeah. It's like, okay. And now you're free. So clearly, you know how to go live in as an adult. Mm-hmm. And he was like, no, I don't have those skills. I came from a household where those were not demonstrated. Those mm-hmm. were not taught to me. And also when you're getting into your early employment experiences on like a professional level, um, and you're getting all of these different narratives thrown at you all of a sudden. I am a firm believer that jobs period are abusive. Mm. And then when you're getting those narratives thrown at you by your bosses who are suddenly demanding that you give more attention to their company and their projects than you can possibly give to your own well-being. Mm. And you don't deserve a single thing from them. And you're like on the chopping block every moment of the day. I think it's all of those things combined along with the, and I also don't really know who I am or how to exist in a balanced way yeah, or what social relationships are. You know, that's when friendships and things get just so much harder to make. Right. Once you're working and people are all kind of living their own lives and you're not being forced to interact with your peers in class anymore, things like that. I just think it's a whole hurricane of factors that kicks a lot of people in the ass. And it definitely got me. Yeah. Same over here. And yet that abusive kind of being on the chopping block, the expectations, the, we own you. Oh, but we're also going to encourage you to take time off. But you're also going to be inconveniencing (laughs) other people with your mere existence. You'll be punished for taking (laughs) time off. But yeah, you can do it. When I think back, all of that did appeal to my my hurt, broken self, Uh right? Because I got I got to live that story. I'm a piece of shit. Of course, treat me like a piece of shit. That makes sense. And this directs all of my activities and my attention because I'm just surviving to hang on to this job. And that feels very normal to me. That's what I was brought up with. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, look at us just in the whole shitstorm of fuckery. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. (laughs) You know, it's interesting, specifically the piece on work. Mm -hmm. If it's true, and I... uh, I have an assertion that it is true that trauma is everywhere. If yes, I've heard it said, if you have parents, you have trauma. Um, (laughs) The recognition that we all bring our traumas everywhere we go, Mm -hmm. we are bringing them to the workplace. We're bringing them to whether it's the cubicle or the boardroom, our traumas cannot be ignored. And it's that very structure that, for many of us is supporting the unhealthiest parts of us. 
Yeah. Dang. I really think our society has groomed us to accept abuse from day one. I think that school and our 40 hour work weeks and all of it is nothing but jumping through abusive hoops, our entire, our taxation system, everything. So we're very accepting of all of it because it's normalized like this echo chamber that we live in where everyone just does it. You just go along with it and people will punish you if you don't, Mm -hmm. if you choose any other perspective, like you're an outcast, you're a weirdo, people will say that you get whatever is coming to you because you won't go sell your soul to a corporation. Yeah. All of that. Our society is so abusive and it, I think that it trickles down through our families and then we feed it right back up into the top of the system when we grow back up and it's a vicious, vicious, horrible cycle. I'm becoming a real like anarchist <laughs> getting getting very strange over here the longer I continue yeah. studying trauma. <laughs> yeah, really interesting. So how does one study trauma? My my choice is using like peer-reviewed academic articles and then other people's experiences and my own generally. It's my study practice. Mm. And setting up little experiments for myself as well. <laughs> Yeah. So can you tell us about one little experiment? Oh God. Yeah. So a big part of my trauma, as we've been talking about, is having that very strong kind of self-sacrificing to get things done Mm. part of me that takes over the wheel any chance it gets, which is a massive problem when you are suddenly like self-employed making a podcast Mm. And so all you have is your, your free schedule, kind of. I also am a master's student and have another job and things like that. But when there's just like flexibility and a million things to get done, and I literally always have more work that I need to do for the podcast and the community, it turns into an effort of just trying to manage my like kind of workaholism that comes out mm. through my trauma. So I do a lot of experiments with that, with trying to manage keeping myself in a mindset where I'm actually present. I'm not dissociated out of my body. And I am actually aware of my surroundings and my needs and existence as a human being. So I think recently the experiment I've been doing with generally scheduling is how I try to play around with that recently. So I have been going back to my old routine of having a long, uh, very self-centered and selfish morning practice. And if I give myself this time to go hike in the morning and reflect and have kind of a full day before I even sit down and start considering what I need to do for work and school that day, how does my you know, anxiety respond? How do my obsessive thoughts respond? Do I have less like tension and body aches like throughout my entire being? Um, Do I sleep better at night? Do I feel like I'm more integrated between my emotions and my narrative thoughts? Yeah, that's been kind of my big focus the past few weeks or months is kind of experimenting again with rescheduling for Mm. getting, getting as much of my trauma under control before I do anything as possible. Yeah, <laughs> I love, it totally does. I love that. And from over here, 
I see it as if I were to, to give it a title or category, it it's beyond rescheduling, you know, taking a look at scheduling. It's an experiment in peace. Right. 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 I like to think of it as my reintegration mm-hmm. in practice because we have all these dissociative parts and, you know, issues that come from that. So this is where I try to go kind of collect my neural network and have a, a full view of all of the connections that I have to work with is how I look at it. Yeah, really. That's in fact, you just like woke something up in me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> definitely around how one launching this podcast, you're, it's so true, like the community and um, ensuring that I have the right guests and inviting guests and then coordinating mm. guests and all of that and, and running a thriving coaching practice. Right. And, right. Oh, by the way, and having a family and yeah. having aging parents, older adult parents who have significant needs. Um, yeah. Um, I was just thinking, as you were talking, I was thinking about my day mm-hmm. just today which was spent like with four hours this morning in a hospital room. Yeah. Yeah. And as you were talking, I noticed my eyes burning. Mm. Yeah. And, um, really how tired I am. Right. Yeah. Right. When you actually just pay attention, give yourself permission for a second to be like, how am I doing though? Right. Right. I mean, look, the, the thing that if they gave out PhDs, for disconnection, right? Yeah. Between <laughs> head and, and yeah. heart and intuition, yeah. man, I, I, I would have graduated summa cum laude on that one, but, um, yeah, but listening to you speak, thank you. That's a, yeah, that is a, that's a great reminder. We all need it. You really need it. Like, yeah, I feel like on a, an hour to half an hour basis, we all need a reminder to be like, I am still exist here. I, <laughs> have fingers and toes. Like, I love it. We're so bad about it or totally. really good at it. However you want to. Right. It's such a great survival skill. You know, we're great at this for a reason. Yeah. I dissociated my way through everything. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I owe that skill a lot of credit, but it fucks you in the long run. If you can't control it. <laughs> it sure does. I'm just, you know, I, as you're saying that, I'm hearing these conversations that I've had today where people came at me with questions and suggestions and I wanted mm-hmm. to fucking kill them. <laughs> like, no, I can't take anymore. Of course I can't take anymore. I'm not creating any room to, to right. take anything. You have to clear your data cache. Right. Like, <laughs> it takes us so long to process things because we do dissociate that like, yeah. I feel like I need to set special time apart to just clear the old information out of my programming before I can bring anything else in. And stimulation is just like enraging, like you're saying. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Do not suggest anything Mm -hmm. world. It's not happening. I can't, I don't have the flexibility right now. Like my brain is saturated. I, I can't redirect my energy to different brain connections right now. Yes, absolutely. I'm curious who or what have been your helpers along the way, by the way, even if they weren't helpful, 
(laughs) That's such a big question. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've had so much help from the community. I fucking love those people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The people who have been attracted to the project are amazing. They are actual friends. And I feel like family members at this point. It's been really incredible, the connections that I've made and the amount of help that like it honestly has become a learning community mm-hmm. in every direction. So I get a lot from them too. And they help me by like keeping the community thriving, like supporting each other. Love it. Oh man, they've been amazing. So definitely my motherfuckers. That's yeah. what we call ourselves. <laughs> and of course, uh, I have to mention my very floppy dog, Archie who at sometimes has been my arch nemesis during this project mm-hmm. because he is a special needs dog who requires a lot, a lot, a lot of hands-on mm-hmm. help. And there's days when I just want to wring his little neck mm-hmm. when he won't, like eat or drink or something basic. But at the same time, having him has taught me so much about my own trauma and about patience and about the trauma that I assume comes out from parenting. I'm not a parent, so I can't make a direct comparison, but the added pressure of having a very needy life that you are taking care of Mm. and being very aware of how your energy is impacting that little life. Oh man, that has taught me a lot of lessons Mm -hmm. (laughs) and also made it so clear how many of us need extra support if we do enter a parenting arena after having our own traumatic lives? Yes. Yeah. So big helpers, big helpers. Yeah. Any choosing that you did where you thought, oh, this will be helpful for me. I, in retrospect, chose some relationships along the way Mm -hmm. that were absolutely me trying to undo what was traumatic to me, right? Like I'm going to have the power in this relationship. Mm. I'm going to control you because I was controlled. Right, right. Hmm. We don't have to fish for it. I mean, you may not have gone down that route. Oh, I'm just thinking, I... Definitely think when I adopted Archie, there was some, definitely something in my head with him where it was like, I I want to be more involved than just having a self-sufficient dog for mm-hmm. some reason. Hmm. I want to have a really close relationship. I don't want it to be kind of the, the relationship I see other people having with their animals sometimes where they're just kind of there like a mm-hmm. lump on the log and, you know. Maybe I like give them a treat and we go for a ride once in a while, but that's about it. But that's not really enough for me. I had a really, really, really close relationship with my dog before this, who unfortunately I lost in the toxic relationship breakup. Mm. And that has crushed me ever since. But he and I were just attached at the hip. And there was something in me that was like, I want, you know, a real best friend. Mm -hmm. So I do wonder if some of Archie's needs are kind of fulfilling to that. I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) what we know is right. People like us, we can do hard things. Yeah. 
we have done the hardest. We thrive doing we hard We thrive things. doing hard. Give yeah. it to us, right? Yeah, we know that. And give me the thing that nobody else wants. Yeah. Like, he is a project. He is a project. He was six months old when I got him and he had already been in like four or five different homes. So it's just like that broken child I spoke about earlier Mm -hmm. is like, give me the other broken things and I will love them. Yes. And I will do whatever it takes to love them. Ah, I love that. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious, Jess. Yeah. What haven't you told us that you think we should know? Mm. I guess I have kind of told you this, but I feel like I can't say it enough times. It gets easier. Mm. I had so many years where I thought that this is forever. This is what I'm stuck trying to live through, to coexist with, and to survive through, basically. Mm. Um, Like all of this discomfort and self-hatred and fear And so many times where I was like, what's the point? This is day after day after day of just marching through, you know, misery and endless Mm. death march and a lot of suicidal ideation because of that. And I just really, really more than anything, want people to know that they aren't alone in feeling so fucked up and alone Mm. and that it doesn't have to be that way forever, even though they've probably like made a few steps forwards and then fallen backwards. Mm-hmm. So you're really convinced that there's no fixing you, you know? Yeah. But once you find the right mix of things, which is the right therapist, mm-hmm. <laughs> first and foremost, and then the way to start limiting your like psychonoxious triggers in your daily life that keep setting you back. Oh my God. It, you can make a real difference and you don't have to feel that way. You can start functioning again. You can reconnect with those parts of yourself that you think you've lost that person that you think that you can't be again, or those things that you used to do, but you have no interest in, or like leaving the house is too scary to even go do things you used to like. You can overcome all of that. Mm. I just can't, I wish I could make people feel the difference yeah. that has taken place in my life in not that long, you know, like two or three years. Right. It sounds like a lot, but in comparison to like what, 30 more years of misery? Yeah. Fuck it. Two or three years. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. I think that the way that you speak about the healing and the freedom that you have created in your own life, like, I was right there with you through your experience. Mm. Yeah. You speak about it so beautifully. Thank you. Yeah. Really hopeful. That's what I hear is hope. I don't hear bullshit, right? It's not. (laughs) Right. Because it's not. I hate bullshit. Yeah. mm -mm, I'm not here for the fluffy stuff. And I try really hard to not touch on any of that, like, you can be peaceful. You can find your inner bliss. It's let's start with just feeling. Okay. Let's just start with having a day where we don't know why we are so upset and why we can't bring ourselves back to some kind of neutral point. How about Mm. there? Mm. And even let's have a day where we feel really upset and just notice that 
That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. That is huge for me. Yeah. Huge because right. Like my perfectly imperfect system said, oh yeah, I'm really, I am really fucked up right now mm-hmm. emotionally, but I can't be. So I'm not even going to, I might notice that for a moment that I am, but I yeah. can't be. So I'm just right. not going to be. I'm not going to feel. I'm not going to feel. Right. Yeah. And that works for a while mm-hmm. until, until it doesn't. Until it doesn't. And exactly. then you're flooded with all of these feelings that are overwhelming and unnameable yes. after neglecting to figure out what they were for a lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've spoke about this before. One of my dreams is that all humans are born with what looks like the periodic chart that's above mm-hmm. their heads, but it's actually a chart of emotions. Hmm. So that when I'm looking at you, Jess, mm-hmm. I could see the chart. It's not sharing your emotions with me. It's just so I can say, oh, right, right now I am feeling um, disappointment or love mm. or because that is not my lifelong practice. Like, huh, <laughs> how do I feel about this? No, no I need the chart, not. people. Right. Maybe everyone should wear a t-shirt. It could be easier actually. Yeah. And we all need like a re-education of what emotions actually feel like. Cause I think we only got taught like three to 10 of them. Mm -hmm. And then we were set loose upon the world to have all of these experiences and incorrectly categorize them by the only things we know. Yeah. Am I happy? Am I sad? (laughs) Angry. Am I angry? angry. Right. (laughs) nervous, right? Yeah. Oh, I just thought of a merch idea. Maybe (laughs) trauma hiders club is going to have t-shirts with emotion, the periodic chart of emotions. That would be great. (laughs) That would be amazing. So many of us need that. I know. And like a description of what they commonly feel like for people. Yes. I literally Google those things. I'm not, I'm not shitting around. I'll be like, what is this feeling like either what is shame from like that approach or I'll be like my head is hot and my stomach is doing this Um, from either direction I'm trying to figure out what emotions are what I'm experiencing and what it's supposed to mean like what is the biological function of that so how can I start digging around to make any meaning of it what's it pointing to what's it trying to tell me that is amazing I can't believe you just said that. I can, <laughs> I can't believe you just said that you Google those because this is amazing. I was, wor- I was working with one of my clients and he, he has significant trauma having been in several foster homes mm. in a gang, mm. threatened in that gang, then went into hiding. I could go on. Um, mm. Here's the thing. We were talking about emotions and I said, how do like go inside, put your hand on your heart, put your stomach on your gut. Like what we're feeling here is heart and emotion. Tell me what comes up for you. Yeah. And he said, I don't know what to call any of this. So, yeah. So he said to me, like, (sighs) what are those emotions? And I'm like, (laughs) Oh, dude, um, you're coming to the wrong person. <laughs> I, and I said, you know, as I've said to you in the past, I have, I have difficulty identifying emotions. I said, let's Google it. Yeah. 
And I said to him at the time, I'm truth be told, this is how I am learning to process what I'm feeling is by Googling it. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> that's so funny. I mean, this just happened. Yeah. You need a place to start. <laughs> right. I thought, I hope he never, I hope he never tells anyone that I'm Googling emotions. That's so funny that you brought that in. You can't know what you don't know. That's right. <laughs> Google isn't going to judge you for asking it. So, <laughs> Thank you, internet. Yes. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for that. So Jess, what are you most excited about in your world? Oh, man. I'm excited to see where this project is going to take me because mm. so far it's already been a real wild ride that mm. has been so connecting and satisfying. And um, I mean, honestly, people really say that it's helping them. So I, it's mind blowing, but I'm really excited to see how it's going to develop within the context of something that we just recently switched over to, which is having the same public podcast stream. That's always been there. It's the complex trauma recovery. We are traumatized motherfuckers. But now we also have a private podcast stream, which we just call like traumatized motherfuckers. Mm -hmm. And that is set aside so that we can all talk a little more openly and mm -hmm. freely and without any of those fears of shame or mm -hmm. retribution. We were having some, some problems coming up with as openly as we were speaking about our trauma on the, you know, completely public podcast, mm -hmm. myself and the other motherfuckers who were wanting to share their experiences. So it mm. became kind of necessary to set a little boundary so that we can all feel safe and comfortable with each other. And we can keep having those difficult conversations that we otherwise don't feel like we're really allowed to have in larger yeah. society. So all of that is currently being hosted through the Patreon. It's patreon.com slash traumatized motherfuckers. And it allows me to put out a lot of material where mm. I don't have to edit myself. I don't have to be concerned about people from my past or present tuning in mm -hmm. and then finding ways to kind of give me more mental problems to deal with. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of users or listeners who send in their voice recordings and their stories. So now they feel a lot more emboldened. Yeah. I swear, I think their contributions must have like increased by a thousandfold in like mm. the last month that we've had this because everyone just feels like, oh, these are people who fucking get it. Yeah. That I'm surrounded by like, I don't have to justify myself. I don't have to be worried about somebody not understanding what I'm saying. Like we get it. We get it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can say whatever you want. And we're just like, oh yeah, I did that last Tuesday. So that has just been incredible to see that just really flourish from uh, nothing to everybody is getting so acquainted and so brave about sharing. And I really feel like it's made a massive change in me. I think it was kind of my next trauma recovery step mm -hmm. was to, to lay down a new boundary and say, actually, I don't have to be for everybody though. I don't need to edit myself so that every single person on this planet, including people who have a personal issue with me, feel okay about what I'm sharing. And um, 
I think that it's okay for me to take a little bit of power back and to create the next thing that everybody needs so that we can all feel a little bit better together. So I'm really excited about that. It's yeah. been it's been one month now as of yesterday. So hmm. it's brand new and oh, I can't wait to see what happens. I really yeah. feel like it could develop into something much, much, much larger. Love. Yeah. I love what I love is one, the honoring of boundaries. Yes. Yeah. The safety that you've created and the love that you're bringing. Yeah, chills. It sounds better when you say it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I hear it really spectacular. I love it. What's been most helpful for you as a guest in the Trauma Hiders Club? Hmm. It's been really great not to use the video. Yeah, right? (laughs) That's been awesome. Also, you know, speaking to you who has an understanding and a background in trauma is obviously critical to just having a free flowing conversation. Right. And our conversation that we had before we ever connected today. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that. I think it makes a difference. At least I've seen on my podcast to have some personal familiarity Sure. before we jump into recording and people are kind of like, oh, oh, I'm talking to a complete stranger. Yeah. So thank you for entertaining me and making accommodations for that the other day as well. That's very helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's right. That's very similar to your community. Even before we ever jump on a podcast, we, especially as Masters of hypervigilance, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> right? We need safety. Mm-hmm. We need the boundary and we need the love. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so we create it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's what we did. Yeah. <laughs> well, is there anything else that you'd like to add to this conversation? Uh, I just want to reiterate that there are answers out there for Mm. people and there are other people who understand yeah and especially if you find yourself in situations that feel like they ruin you Mm. and by that I mean having contact with family members or toxic relationships that you're in or workplaces that they break your head every day there are ways to start making those changes to get away from those things. You don't have to stay in any of those relationships Mm. and you can find the support that you need to start figuring out how to make those changes. You just can't retreat into your trauma self and give up. I just want everybody to feel that if they can. Mm -hmm. Yes. I feel that over here for sure. Yeah. Thank you for that. Jess, are you open to coming back to the Trauma Hiders Club? Yeah, definitely. All right. Yeah. I would love that. Me too. Yeah. Well, this has been a phenomenal conversation. Not only did you show up with heart, with experience, with truth, what you've delivered is such brilliance. Thank you. And you give such a great pod. (laughs) 
Thank you. <laughs> yeah, really. It's been so great having you here. Thanks. So it's been really yeah. great connecting with you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Trauma Hiders Club podcast. For more episodes, head over to my website where you'll find links to resources mentioned and all the ways you can listen on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're ready to fight, discover the rules of Trauma Club. Head over to KarenGoldfingerBaker.com.